If you are not familiar with what Chi Alpha is, it is the Assemblies of God on-campus ministry on the secular university campus to reach young people at the secular university for Christ. Jesse is, is a product of that. We support Chi Alpha. It's just nice to see some of the results and fruit that comes from that. And so it is our privilege today. They're going to share with us their call to missions, full-time missions, in the uh, country of Mongolia. Now, how many of you know when you're, when you're going to Mongolia, God has called you, right? You just don't end up in Mongolia uh, by accident. How did we get here? No, God has called them, and uh, we're excited to hear that journey and that story. So, Jesse, would you come share this morning? God bless you. Well, welcome, Jesse, today. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Like Pastor Stephen said, my name is Jesse, uh, and I'm excited to get to be here with you, even though it is finally feeling like Alaska. Missing a little bit of the warmth, but the cold is, uh, is a bit refreshing. So, I've been here in Alaska for about 15 years, uh, and honestly, I'm starting to, I, well, not starting, I've enjoyed the cold. I like it to be colder than hotter, because if it gets it's too cold, you can always put on more layers, but when it gets too hot, you start to get a little indecent if you try to fix that. So, well, I want to start by sharing a little bit of my story so that you guys can understand where I'm coming from and, and who I am a little bit and who my wife is a little bit. Uh, again, my name is Jesse. Uh, I was born into a Christian household. Uh, we followed Jesus. We went to church. And from a really young age, I accepted Jesus to my life. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. But accepting him as my Lord was a little bit harder. Uh, because when you admit that Jesus is your Lord, suddenly you lose a lot of that, uh, that ability to say, I can do what I want for myself. Uh, and so when I grew up, even in high school, I was kind of very achievement-focused. I wanted to be the best as I could be in a lot of different things. And I did very well in high school um, in, in academics and in sports uh, and whatever I wanted to try to do, I did fairly well in. Well, as I was getting ready to graduate high school, I was thinking about, okay, well, what do I want to do next? What happens in my life afterwards? And I didn't want to go to college right away, so I started thinking about, well, what else can I do? And I heard about this Bible school in Sweden, and I was like, I'm going to do that. And I wish I could tell you today that I went to this Bible school because I wanted to study the Bible, or that I wanted to know more about Jesus, but I would be lying to you if I said that. Instead, I looked at this school, and I said, that sounds like an adventure, and I love adventure. And to top it all off, this school had an outdoor program. And so I thought to myself, well, I'm going to get to go overseas and have an adventure, and I get to camp for a whole year. That sounds like a really great, great way to spend a year. And so I went. And what was interesting is that the Lord had better plans for me. The Lord knew where I would get my heart, and that was the outdoors. And he said, I have something for you in store that I had no idea was, was coming my way. So I went to Sweden. And about halfway through the first semester, we started talking about fathers and the role of fathers in our lives and how we can look at God as our father. And again, I looked at him as my savior, but Lord, not so much, and relationship, not so much, and father, definitely not that. But as we started to talk about fatherhood, I, I started thinking through like what it is to have a father and to have a heavenly father. And so one night... Uh, we, we had only a few rules in the school, but one of the ones we were strict on was curfew. And so I snuck out of my dorm room, and I broke my curfew, and I went out into the woods, and I lit a little fire out in the woods, and I started crying out to the Lord, and I said, God, if you are my father, if you see me, I need to know. I need you here. I can't come to where you are. I need you to come to me. And my friends, the presence of God came down powerfully in that moment, and it was the first time in my life I got to experience the presence of God one-on-one -on -one outside of a, a worship setting. It was just me and the Lord, and he told me one simple thing. 
He said, I am your father. And that was all he needed to say, and it changed my life and my direction from that point forward. Now I saw him as my savior and my Lord, and more importantly, as my father. Suddenly, relationship made sense, and the ability to relate to God uh, was, was this newfound journey that I was on. Well, I finished my, my time at the Bible school, and I came back to Alaska, and I started attending University of Alaska Anchorage in 2000, I guess I started in 2013. I was taking one or two classes, and at that time, I was like, well, if God is my father, and I know that he wants to be related to everyone around me, I got to tell everybody. And so I walked into campus thinking, I got to share the gospel with as many students as I can. And at this point, there were very few uh, college campus ministries at UAA. And so I went on, and my strategy of telling people about Jesus was to debate them and to argue with them, and in some ways to harass them. Unfortunately, I, I have to admit that. But uh, in the process, I started to, to realize this isn't it, right? As people started to kind of like turn away from me and shun me a little bit, I was like, this isn't it. Well, in 2014, in October, uh, this really, really cute girl asked me to come to Chi Alpha, and I thought, yeah, I'll go to Chi Alpha, sure. Uh, and I went, and she wasn't even there, but I did meet a man... And his name was Steve. And Steve has this big curly afro. It's a little shorter nowadays. Uh, but he came bouncing over to where I was, and his afro came bouncing with him. And he said, hey, my name is Steve. I'm glad to meet you. And I said, hey, I'm glad to meet you too. And Steve asked me a question that changed, again, changed the direction of where I was headed. He said, can I get a cup of coffee with you? And I said, yeah, let's do it. Let's get a cup of coffee. And I was a little skeptical at first because at this point I had gotten coffee with people, but they were always women. Uh, so having a coffee date with a guy was a little different for me. Uh, but I said, okay, I'll go, I'll go get some coffee with you. And so we went and we started talking and he asked me a series of questions. His first question was, tell me about yourself. And so I did. I told him where I was and where I was coming from. And then he started to ask me more personal questions. He started to ask me questions like, what's your relationship with Jesus like? What is purity like in your life? What have you been reading in the Bible? And questions like these were kind of probing and a little bit private and sensitive. And I was taken aback by someone who was so curious about these things in my life that usually I would keep to myself. So I started to tell him, and I answered his questions as honestly as I could at the time. And this started a relationship. And Steve and I started to meet pretty regularly. He continued to pour into my life, and he continued to ask me questions. He started to just tell me about what Jesus is doing in his life. He started to ask me what Jesus was doing in my life. What could Jesus do in my life? And when I started to have what I thought were world-ending crises, but realistically were not too big of a deal these days, I came to Steve and I started to, to walk through what does Jesus have to do in the midst of these situations. And I continued to make mistakes and I continued to learn from those mistakes. But all the while, I had someone with me who, number one, I could talk to about anything. Because if I could talk to him about purity, I could talk to him about anything. And number two, always talked about Jesus in the midst of it. And I said, okay. So, I started to, to enjoy this relationship that I would call discipleship. Steve was discipling me and who I was and who I would become. Well, it wasn't too long later when Steve challenged me and he said, Jesse, do you have people in your life that you can teach about Jesus? And I wanted to say no, but I knew the truth was yes because I was at a secular campus. And how many of you know that we need more Jesus in the secular campus today? Many of my classmates didn't know who Jesus was, and if they did know who Jesus was, they were actively running away from who they knew Jesus was. So they needed to be discipled. So Steve said, Jesse, I want you to start discipling people. I said, okay. So in 2015, I started leading my first small group, and I've been leading a small group ever since then. And let me tell you, small group is one of the most powerful moments in my life, not only for me, but in other people's lives too. 
I've been able to weep with people as I experience things and weep with my brothers as they experience things. We've been able to have lots of laughter and joy. I've led people to Jesus while they suck carpet in my living room floor, and I've been able to wrestle with them at the same time, at the same night, as we continue to bond as brothers because ladies, guys wrestle, and that's how we bond. That's okay. Well, a few years later, I went to this event called the World Missions Summit. This was a, uh, a, a gathering of missionaries. All Chi Alpha students across the nations were invited, and there were uh, missionaries from all over the world who were invited as well. And there were about 6,000 people who were in attendance, missionaries and college students. And the goal was to allow, to create an environment where college students can come and say, yes, Lord, I will go. Where will you send me? And so I went. At this time, I knew that the Lord was calling me into ministry, but I didn't know what that meant. Uh, but I was like, well, maybe it's missions. So I went, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go and, and see if the Lord will call me into missions. When I went, I was avoiding certain areas. At this point in my life, like I said, I'd been at Bible college, and the principal of my school, he was a missionary in Mongolia before he came to uh, be a principal at my school in, in Sweden. So when I was thinking about missions, I was thinking a lot through the lens of Mongolia already. Uh, and so when I went to the World Mission Summit, I excitedly avoided Mongolia because I was like, oh, I'm biased. I can't go to Mongolia because this is the area that, when I think about missions, I, I don't want to be too biased. So I'm just going to go look for something else. And so I was avoiding all things I could, Mongolia or Asia. And I went to speak to this missionary, and he asked me, he's like, hey, do you have a call of missions in your life? I said, I have a call of ministry. And he said, okay, do you want to go to missions? And I said, I'd love to if the Lord would call me. He says, well, if you had to go anywhere in the world today, where would you go? And I told him, well, probably Mongolia, because this is the place where I got to hear so many incredible stories about what the Lord is doing in Mongolia. And I have a heart for Mongolian people. He said, okay, well, we'll pray for that calling. I said, great. A few minutes later, another man joined our conversation. I'll never forget this guy because he rubbed me the wrong way. He came in and he inserted himself in the conversation and placed himself between me and the missionary that I was speaking to, physically put his body between us and started a new conversation in the middle of my conversation. I was like, this guy. And so the, the missionary kind of looked at him and said, hey, by the way, this is Jesse. He brought me back into the conversation. He's praying for a call to missions. And the guy turns to me, not hearing our conversation from earlier, and says, have you thought about Mongolia? And, and I said, I'm thinking about it a little more seriously now. The missionary who I was talking to, his eyes popped wide, and he said, you have to find uh, one of my friends who serves in Mongolia. And I said, okay. He says, no, go find him right now. And I said, okay. So I started to wander around. Remember, there's 6,000 people at this event, and I have to find one guy that most people don't know. So I'm looking around, and a couple hours later, I do find him, and we start to talk about Mongolia. We pray about Mongolia, uh, and I'm getting really excited about Mongolia. Well, that evening we go to a service, and the theme of this service was, uh, was the idea of send me. They provided an altar call, and at this altar call, they encouraged students to come and receive a call from the Lord if the Lord would give it to them. So if you want to receive, come and receive. And I said, well, I want to go. So I went down to go and pray. And as I was praying, a man, I don't know, his, I can't remember his name. I don't even remember really what he looks like, but he came to pray over me. And I didn't say anything, but he started praying for me, he said, and he started praying for a call to missions. And then he started praying for a call to missions in Asia. And then he started to pray for a call to missions in Northern Asia. And I started to think, remember, this guy I didn't know, and I didn't get to say anything. So at this point, I realized, I think the Lord might be trying to say something to me. <laughs> I could be a little dense sometimes, but that's okay. The Lord is good, and he is faithful, and he's consistent. So since then, I came back from the World Mission Summit, and I was like, all right, Mom, uh, I'm going to Mongolia. I'm packing my bag right now. Let's go. And I started calling people, and I was like, hey, I'm on my way to Mongolia. See you later. I'm going to miss you. I called Steve, and I said, Steve, thanks for everything. Goodbye. This is goodbye. I'm never going to see you again. And Steve said, now, hold on a second. 
I want you to be obedient, but be obedient well. And I was like, well, what do you mean? So we got together, we got coffee again, and as Steve always did, he brought it back to Jesus and he said, look, I want you to be obedient, but that doesn't mean that you just go haphazardly. You need to have a plan. And so we started to talk about what that might be, and he said, Jesse, you need to graduate before you can go and be a missionary in Mongolia. I said, okay, I trust you. So I started praying to the Lord. I felt the Lord's blessing over that, so I continued and I graduated from, from college. And then uh, I was like, Lord, can I go now? And I felt the Lord say, no, not yet. And I was a little frustrated because I was like, Lord, you called me, but now you're saying no. It's been two years since you called me. I just want to go, but he said no. I said, okay, well, I don't like it, but I'm going to try to be obedient. So I, I decided to sign up for an internship with Chi Alpha. I went, I did my internship, I graduated my internship, and at the end of that year, I started praying again, Lord, can I go? And the Lord said, no, not yet. And shortly after that, COVID happened. Praise the Lord. He said no at a good time. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go continue on with Chi Alpha. So I called Steve, and I said, Steve, can I be a part of your staff team? And he said, yes. So for the last three years, I've been working with Chi Alpha, working on staff with Chi Alpha, and helping their mission. And my friends, there have been some incredible things happening on the campus of UAA. Leaders of tomorrow are going to college today, and those leaders are being influenced for Christ because Chi Alpha has a presence on 300 campuses in the United States. Chi Alpha has a presence in UAA and UAF, and so tomorrow's future leaders are starting to know who Jesus is in a place where Jesus is seldom spoken. I'm so thankful for Chi Alpha and its influence in my life, and I'm so excited to see Chi Alpha's continued influence in the lives of our future leaders and our young ones. At this time, I started praying again. I'm in, I'm in staff with Chi Alpha, and I've been waiting for the Lord to say, go. And last October, I finally heard the Lord say, now is the time you can go. And I got so excited. I called Steve and said, Steve, I'm going to finish up this year because we started a school with you. I'm going to finish the school year with you, and then I'm going to go. And Steve is incredibly excited. He's sad to see me go because he's my dear friend, but he's excited to see me be obedient and follow the Lord's call. And I told you about the World Mission Summit. My wife also went to the World Mission Summit at the time. But if you ask me what that was like going to the World Mission Summit, we weren't married, we weren't dating at that time. What's that like going to the to World Mission Summit with your future wife? I would tell you I have no idea. Honestly, I don't remember her going. And if it wasn't for her having a picture with me standing next to her, I wouldn't even know that she was there. But the Lord is doing incredible things in her. I, it's embarrassing. I know. I'm sorry. She's forgiven me. She married me still, so I do something right. Uh, it's just not by my memory. At the same time, when I was being called into Mongolia, Barbara was called to Indonesia. And so she went, and she did the opposite of what I did. I waited. She went right away. Uh, kicking and screaming, she would tell you herself that she didn't want to go, but she was like, I can't not go. And so she went to Indonesia and did a, a year in Indonesia. And she came back to, back to Alaska and was praying to the Lord, well, what next? But in that time in Indonesia, the Lord had broken her heart for Asia. And so we started dating after she got back from Indonesia. And on, on our, I think it was our first, maybe our second date, I sat down with her and I said, hey, by the way, I'm going to Mongolia. And if you're not okay with that, then let's just cut this off now because we're fooling ourselves thinking that we can make this work and I can still go to Mongolia. And she looked at me and she said, can I pray about it? I said, yeah, you can pray about it. She came, called me a few days later and she said, I, I'm not saying I'm going with you, but I'm okay with the idea. And I said, okay, cool. Well, let's keep going. Fast forward a little while, we got married, thank goodness, because I was getting worried I wouldn't ever find a wife. Uh, but fortunately, she said yes, and uh, the rest is history. Now today, we have a beautiful daughter, and we're on our way to Mongolia to go and serve the people. So why are missions so important to God? That's a little story about me and why we're going on missions and why we're going to Mongolia. But missions is more than just global, and we'll explain that here in just a little bit. But I want to talk about why missions is so important to God. 
Missions is important to God because this is how the world will know Jesus. There is no plan B other than for people to go and tell the world who Jesus is. There is no backup plan. God has entrusted us with the gospel. God has entrusted you with the gospel. There is no other way for someone to come to know Jesus except through those who carry the light. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 13, and I apologize to the the sound of tech team. I don't know if I actually got this slide up for you guys, but uh, I'm just going to read it for you. And this is what it says, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 13. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My friends, this is such good news. That when you call on the Lord, you will be saved. Not if you catch God on a good day or if he happens to wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you're done for. No, you will be saved when you call on the name of the Lord. And more than this, this is a chance to have relationship. This is a calling for relationship. Because that calling on the name initiates a response. And there will be a relationship. I learned this in Sweden by a, pit, by a fire pit in the middle of the night. As the Lord said, you have called on my name and you will be saved. And my friends, if you're in this room tonight and you're like, I don't know what it is to have a relationship with God. I don't know what it is to call on his name. And he has never answered me. Man, I want to pray for you because the Lord has promised that he will save you. This is good news and is offered not only to you, but to everyone around you. And it's really interesting that Paul goes on to write in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. Uh, again, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to mission. There's no provision in anywhere in Scripture that I can find that has made an exemption for anyone to not participate in that mission. If you are a follower of Jesus, you also are called, no matter your age, no matter your experience, no matter if you gave your life to Jesus 10 minutes ago or 10 years ago, we are all called to participate in the mission. My question that I ask is if you will not tell someone, then who will? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, uh, and he's speaking to his disciples. This is after he had died and was risen again, and before he ascends into heaven, he says this to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And there's a really interesting geographic image that Jesus gives to his disciples because he talks about Jerusalem first. And Jerusalem is a small city. Well, it wasn't so small at the time. But Jerusalem is one city. He says to his disciples, uh, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then he zooms out. And he goes to Judea and Samaria. And then he zooms out again to the whole world. I think we can take the same principle and think about our lives. And we start with our zoomed-in portion. And we can zoom out to those areas of wider influence that we have. And the important thing I want to say 
It can be intimidating to try and share the gospel with people. It can be scary to try and find the right words to speak to someone or to initiate a conversation that we've never had before when we're talking about Jesus. But the good news is, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. That power is promised. You will not be alone when you share the gospel with people. So let's talk about zooming in to zooming out. I think in our own lives, at the very core, our most important missions field uh, is our household missions. And when we start to zoom out, uh, just to be clear, I believe there are four aspects of missions that we're all meant to participate in and meant to be engaged in. And the first, as we zoom in, is going to be our household missions. This is your family, your most important missions field. I believe that my most important missions field is to my wife and to my daughter. They will receive the most opportunity for me to tell them about who Jesus is, and they will be able to continue on that same idea and that same engagement in missions in the future as what I have. See, I believe when I go to Mongolia, I'm not going by myself and leaving my wife and daughter here. They're coming with me, mostly because I want them to, but also because they want to as well. And when we go to Mongolia, my wife will be a missionary, and my daughter will also be a missionary. It is not just me, but it is a calling that God has placed on me and my family. And we each have a role and a responsibility to share the gospel with those that are around us and those that we meet. So I ask each of you, how can you engage in household missions? Your most important missions field. Men, I challenge you, how are you leading your family towards Jesus? You have a role to lead your family towards Jesus. How are you doing that? I encourage you to look for new ways. Always be seeking new ways. One way I like to encourage, especially men, to lead your family, have you taken communion with your family before? You're the priest of your household. You can and you should. Women, what are you doing to nurture the love of Jesus in your families? What are you doing to encourage your young ones to know who Jesus is and how you're representing the love of Jesus in their lives? And how can you teach them to love others around them? This doesn't apply to moms and dads or men and women. This applies to everyone in your family. So children, how are you telling your parents about Jesus? Because you can and you should. If you are single and not yet married, you can still learn how to lead your household towards Jesus. When I was, when I was in college, I was in a house with six people. And if you think about a house, uh, six dudes, by the way. If you think about a house with six dudes, what's the first thing that kind of comes to mind? It's usually kind of the smell that comes to mind for me first. You laugh because you know what I mean. You walk in and you get hit by a wall. Uh, I've been in homes with, with two dudes, and it's just like the next-door neighbor house is hard to come into because you can smell it next door. Well, when I went to this home, there were six men who wanted to know Jesus more, and we were people who wanted to uh, not only like love Jesus and love each other well, but learn how to love our future families well. And we, called our, we had a name for our house. We called it the Training Grounds because we believed that we were learning how to be the future leaders of our families in this household. And so when I looked at our roommates, I didn't look at them as my friends. I looked at them as, uh, as representatives of my future family. How can I love them in a way that I intend to love my future family? And so when you walk into this home, it was clean. And my wife will tell you when she first came to the house, she was a little skeptical at first of like, okay, I'll come in and check it out. But she walked in and she, so, she says that she has never been more comfortable in a guy's house as when she walked into that house because it was clean, didn't smell awful, because there was actually like food in the fridge and there was uh, an opportunity to, to relax and feel like this is a, this is a home. And we were intentional about that with each other. 
we were intentional about challenging each other and, and leading each other spiritually. We were intentional about encouraging each other to pray and to pray with each other, to weep with each other. If you locked yourself in your room, you couldn't lock yourself in your room for very long because we'd just bust down the door and be like, what are you doing, you loner? Get out here and be part of the family. So singles, just because you're not married yet doesn't mean you cannot start uh, looking at how you can lead your future families. And for those of you who are called to celibacy, which is a high calling, you can still engage in household missions. Because it's, even if you live on your own, you are not the only one who's living in your house. Jesus is too. So I would ask you, what are you doing to keep Jesus as the leader of your home and your daily life? When people come into your home, is it a place where Jesus resides as well? So we can zoom out from our household missions and look at our neighborhood missions. One snarky critic once asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds to the parable of the Good Samaritan. So in response to saying, who is my neighbor? Jesus is saying, whoever you come across. Yes, your neighbor includes the guy across the street who you never met, the guy four houses down who mows his lawn at six in the morning every Friday. It includes the guy that's just down the street who just moved in, or that cranky old guy that everybody knows don't even look at his house, much less touch his grass. Your neighborhood missions also includes that guy at the grocery store that you see every week. It includes the barista that you get your coffee from every Monday. It includes those people that you come across every single day. Everyone that you come across deserves your love, and everyone who deserves your love deserves to hear the gospel. So what does it look like to live on mission for your neighborhood? I would ask you this question, do you know your neighbor's name? And remember by neighbor, I don't simply mean the person who lives next door, although that person is definitely included. Do you pray for them by name? Do they even know that you pray? One powerful way that we can share the gospel with people is simply by asking them, can I pray for you? When's the last time you asked your barista, hey, can I pray for you? That's a challenge. That's a challenge, my friends. We continue to zoom out. Neighborhood missions, we zoom out into marketplace missions. And there's this term that we use in Chi Alpha, and we call it marketplace missions because we believe that everyone who leaves Chi Alpha, and by leave I mean graduate and move on, everyone who graduates from Chi Alpha is a missionary. That doesn't mean that everybody goes overseas or goes to some exotic location, but everyone goes on mission. And even if you're an engineer, you are a missionary to the engineering field. If you are a nurse, you're, an, you're a missionary to the nursing field. If you are a grocer, you are a missionary to the grocing field. I think that's a word. Have you thought about where you give most of your productive day? We spend a third of our days at work, Monday through Friday. Half of our waking hours are spent at work. So how well do you know your coworkers? Do your coworkers know that you know Jesus? Have you ever shared Jesus with your coworkers? But what is what is sharing the gospel? What does living on mission look like in a place where professionalism is expected? This is, I think, the most uh, the most significant hurdle in most places. I have to be professional. As a nurse, I can't just tell all my patients about Jesus and sit within the Bible. I can't do that. I'm not saying you have to be a preacher. I think that sharing the gospel, living on mission, is more about telling stories. Because it's really easy to talk about the football game. It's really easy to talk about that hike or that camping trip or this really funny story about my uncle who slipped into the lake last week. It's easy to tell these stories, but what if we also told stories about what Pastor Stephen told me at church on Sunday that's been sitting on my mind? 
One of the first questions we ask each other when we get together with any other human being is, how are you doing? What if we were honest with them and told them about what the Lord is doing in our lives? I don't think it takes much more than telling stories. Stories is going to be the most common and easiest way to share testimonies. And if you think about Jesus and what he did, yes, he, he shared sermons, but he spent most of his time telling stories. What if we did the same thing? What if we lived like Jesus and told stories about what he's doing in our lives? So let's continue to zoom out. We've talked about family missions. We've talked about neighborhood missions. We've talked about marketplace missions. And the last one is the first one that we usually think about, and that's world missions. I think this is probably the first one that we think about. This is the aspect that is most often considered because it's the most exotic. The craziest stories come from the missions fields. I mentioned earlier that in all four aspects, we all have a responsibility to participate. You can't pick one or two. All four of these, if we're disciples of Jesus, are aspects that we are meant to participate in. So how do we participate in world missions? I don't think everybody should go. If everybody left, there'd be no Christians here in the U.S. And we need Christians here. But you can still participate in world missions. So what does that look like? I believe there are two types of people when it comes to world missions. The first are goers. Those are the ones who go into the field. The second are senders. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, how can anyone go unless they are sent? This implies that there are two people. There are the people who go, and there are those who send the ones who go. Well, what is your responsibility to be part of the senders? You're the ones who say, they will go in my name. When I go into the missions field in Mongolia, I'm not going in the name of Jesse. I'm going in the name of Jesus, but I'm being sent by my home church. I'm being sent by Chi Alpha. I'm being sent by my family. I'm being sent by Kenai New Life. Will you participate in sending missionaries? So what does sending mean? I think there's three parts of sending. Sending is first and foremost prayer. When someone is sent, they are sent with prayer, inconsistent prayer. And let me tell you, as a missionary in the field, one of the most powerful things that we can receive is your prayers. Because we're going into places that there are no Christians, or very few if there are any. We're going into places where we are not uh, the majority we are not seen as a powerful force, but there is a powerful force behind every prayer that sends us. And so we need prayers more than anything else. The second is in support. And by support, I mean encouragement. If you know any missionaries who are or even were on the field, I'd encourage you, write them a message and just say, hey, I'm thinking of you and I'm praying for you. Because to go into a foreign missions field where there are very few, if any, Christians sometimes means that you feel forgotten that you've gone away and people have not thought about you since you were last home. So I'd encourage each and one of you, if you know a missionary, even today, I'd encourage you to write them a message and say, hey, I was thinking about you today, and I'm proud of you, and I want you to know that I'm praying for you. Encourage them and support them. The third way is to give. Goers can't go without senders because there's a financial aspect to going, and without the financial support of others, goers can't go. And guess what? I love your church because Kenan New Life is a generous church. I look at the wall behind me, this, this box of shoe boxes, and I can't even count that high how many boxes there are. <laughs> this is a generous church. I love to see that. And I'm so excited to see a church that is uh, excited about missions and generous behind missions. It's easy to talk about how much you admire missionaries. It's another thing to say, hey, we're going to be a part of making sure that children around the world know who Jesus is. So that's awesome. I'm so excited to see this in your guys' church. 
So let's talk about missions and what makes effective missions. I mentioned my story, and I told you about Steve, who discipled me when I was younger. And I think that discipleship is the key to effective missions. I told you honestly that when I started sharing the gospel with people, it was in a debative way, in a combative way. And I wasn't interested in discipling people. I was just telling them, you're wrong, and this is who Jesus is, and you need Jesus. But that's not the way that Jesus did things, and that's not the way that we tell people about Jesus. That is not effective missions. Effective missions involves discipleship. So what is discipleship? Discipleship is simply teaching others to follow Jesus as you continue to follow him. Or to put it in another way, continue to do the things you already do, but bring other people along with you. We like to encourage our college students in Chi Alpha, hey, are you going to the store? Because there's a kid who lives in the dorms who probably needs to go to the store and he would never ask. So take him to the store. And oh, by the way, while you're in the store, why don't you just pray with him when you drop him off? Why don't you tell him a short story of the gospel while you're in the car on the way to the store? It's really simple. Tell him a story. And I encourage each one of you too. How can I disciple someone in my life? Your children are a great place to start because you see them pretty regularly and to sit down with mom and dad so they can talk to you about something pretty important should be something that happens already in your life. So why not tell them about Jesus and disciple them towards Jesus? But what about your coworker? What about your neighbor? Who can, in your life can you look at and say, you know what, I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to take my lunch, and I'm going to take you to lunch with me, and I'm going to ask you some pretty, pretty serious questions. Hey, what's going on in your life? Tell me about what's going on in your life. Hey, can I pray for you? That's it. That's all we need to share the gospel. And here's the thing. There is a need for the gospel in the world today. Pastor Stephen is an incredible pastor, and I know you all know that because you're all here this morning. But Pastor Stephen can't reach everyone who's in your lives. There are people that you know that Pastor Stephen will never meet, and who's going to tell them the gospel if you don't? I think that's the question to ask of everyone that you come across. If I don't tell them who Jesus is, who will? It's not a question of if we are called into missions. You are called. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 18 and 19, Jesus gives one of his most famous statements. This is what we call the Great Commission. This is after Jesus has died and rose again, and again, right before he ascends into heaven. He says to his disciples, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So he tasked his disciples to make disciples. And that task has been ongoing for 2,000 years. It is now your responsibility to carry that torch to make disciples who make disciples, who continue to make disciples. It's not a question of if we're called to missions. You are called. And if you not tell them, who will? Who will tell your family who Jesus is? Who will tell your neighbors who Jesus is? Who will tell your coworkers who Jesus is? Did you know that 42% of the world has no gospel witness in their lives? Who will tell those, if not me? I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going into Mongolia to tell one of those, a small portion, that 42%, who Jesus is, because they have no one else to share the gospel with them. That's not even including those who haven't received Jesus. That's just people who don't have that witness. As I close, I want to ask you a simple question. What is your call to missions? What will you do to engage in the mission of your household? What will you do to engage in the mission of your neighborhood? What will you do to engage in the mission of your marketplace? And what will you do to engage in world missions? I want to pray for you all really quick and then we'll wrap up.
Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time. And Lord, I just pray that there's anyone in this room who was like me many years ago and has never considered what it is to have a father relationship with you, Lord Jesus, that you reveal your character to them now in this moment, that you see them and that you desire them as a father desires their son. So Lord, would your character be made known today in their lives? And God, I just pray that every heart in here tonight would cons- or this morning would consider who is in my missions field? Who am I responsible to share the gospel to? If I will not tell them, who will? And Lord, I pray that you would inspire these people to continue being even more obedient to you than they already are, Lord Jesus. God, break our hearts for those who are around us and those that, uh, that need to hear your word and hear your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you all for letting me come and speak with you today. I pray that the Lord blesses each and every one of you. Amen. Praise God.